Welcome to Lily, the voice of Alice von Hildebrand. I'm John Henry Crosby, founder and president of the Hildebrand Project. Alice von Hildebrand, known as Lily to her friends, inspired audiences with her wit and wisdom in over 300 appearances on TV and radio. This podcast is a treasury of those archival recordings. This is the eighth episode in the series on Dietrich von Hildebrand's book, The Art of Living. In this conversation, Lily continues to discuss hope, especially the theme of hope as communion with God. Now, here's Lily. Well, to understand that despair is basically complete isolation. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't commit suicide in public. You know, usually mm-hmm. commit suicide you know, in a little dark corner all by yourself because you feel I'm totally cut off from humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no one who cares for me. Now, man is made for communion. He is made for communion to such an extent that you, Gabriel Marcel defines the person as someone who is made for, to be with other mm-hmm. people. Now, this is what is totally eliminated in despair. Of course, what is the solution to despair? There's only one solution, and the solution is supernatural. And this is a virtue of hope. And there is no possibility of explaining hope if we eliminate God. Mm -hmm. And this goes too far, so far, that even atheists who sincerely hope in some way assume that God exists. Otherwise, there'd be no sense to hope. Now, in the country in which we live, hope is often confused with phenomena that have nothing to do with it. You know, I've known people who have such an optimistic nature, mm-hmm. you know, that they remind me of these little toys that I had when I was a child, you know, little dolls, and this lead in their feet. Mm. And you throw them upside down and yeah. they immediately fall back on their feet because yes. obviously the lead is in it. Mm-hmm. So I know people that have such a bouncy, optimistic, well, yes, things are bad today, but I mean, just wait tomorrow and uh, give Clinton a chance. You're going to see within a few months things are going to be better and so on and so on. Or, uh, you know, this shallow, superficial optimism Mm -hmm. as if we were promised that the world is going to turn out to be a paradise if we introduce a few new laws and if you bring about a few new changes, you know, and therefore things are going to be fine. I mean, the illusion, for example, the war on poverty or the war on hunger, and just follow what I say, and within a few years, the world is going to be a paradise. The world is not going to be a paradise. Again, that that heresy of evolutionism, but there was a saying back in the 30s, I think during the Depression, Every day in every way, the world is getting better and better. And just to say that, say that, and say that, and then it will happen. Well, I recall when I started teaching that one of my students said to me, uh, we have progressed so much that very soon this earth is just going to be a heaven. And then I said to him, I said, what about death? And he said to me, oh, just wait another 50 years. Science is going to prevent men from dying. I said, this is truly going to be hell. My husband makes an extremely important distinction mm-hmm. in his analysis of virtue between a temperamental disposition, you know, which is simply mm-hmm. in your genes that you're born with. I mean, some people yes. are nervous, other people are uh, extremely calm and peaceful, some people are choleric, some people are, are sanguine. You know, this is a disposition that you're born with, and there's no doubt about the fact that my genes play some sort of a role. 
But because we are persons, we are called upon to transcend these limitations. And I mean, suppose that I were to say, well, I'm choleric by nature, and therefore I'm perfectly legitimate to me to make fiends and sins and to go into tantrums. No, I have to work on my nature and with God's grace to purify and to transform my nature. This is my temperament, but this has nothing to do with virtue. Virtue is always a conscious spiritual response and implies an act of will. I cannot be virtuous in spite of myself. I have to respond to a value and to respond mm -hmm. properly with God's grace, strengthening my will. And this is why I say a will always, virtue always implies a free commitment, a free choice. Yes. You know, if someone is patient just simply because he has such a languid and lazy temperament, you know, there are people who push them there and they'll stay there and you push them on the other side. And they, they might be comfortable to live with, yes. but they're not virtuous. You see, when you take a St. Francis of Sales, who apparently was choleric by temperament and became the most gentle of all sins that you can imagine, you see, because precisely he was using his free will supported by grace. Therefore, let us not make the primitive mistake, very, very widespread in this country, to believe that optimism, all oh, things are going to be fine, don't you worry, oh, of course, you are just a prophet of doom and so on and so on. The situation of the world today is so grave that to my mind only fools can have optimism. But as Christian, there's another answer. And this answer is radically and essentially different. Mm -hmm. And this is the virtue of hope. Now, this obviously implies a reference to God. It implies a reference to someone who is infinitely good infinitely powerful and loves us. This is the theological virtue of hope. It's directed towards God. It right. is super, yeah. you know, the three are faith, yes. hope, hope, and charity, and implies toward God. And I simply say there is absolutely no sense to believe that through optimism we're going to save the problem of the world. The world is very, very sick. But we should put our hope in God. Why? Not only because God is all-powerful, because suppose that God were all-powerful, but did not love us, it would not guarantee that there's reason for us to hope. But we know that God is love. We have the immense, unique blessing as Christians to know that God became man to save us from eternal damnation. You know that he has reopened the gates of heaven for us. You know that he's giving us through the church his grace and his sacraments. And therefore we know that ultimately God wants so good and is going to use it, even in moments of difficulties, even in moments of despair, even in moments of darkness, even in moments of intense suffering. We have to believe, and this of course presupposes grace because our nature is not going to do it on its own, that all this has a meaning which is going to lead to our good if we keep trusting. I think it's important to note that, like you said, grace, because we can't tough it out. I mean, it, it's You know, that is a paradox of Christianity. You see, once again, you know, one mm -hmm. of these days, I'd like to give uh, uh, several shows on the paradoxes of Christianity. Because from one point of view, we are free and therefore responsible. From another point of view, our freedom is very limited. And unless we turn to God for help, we are not going to make it. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it is totally false to deny that we are free, and it's totally wrong to say that our freedom is illimited and we can do what we please, that we don't need grace in order yes. to be safe. You know, that was the heresy of Pelagius. Of Pelagius, yes. Isn't it true that um, it's possible that when people go through great trials and have many more than other people seem to have, at least their memory members, their family or friends, that their possibility for sanctity is much greater than those who have fewer trials? You know, obviously, this is how you, you see it in the light of God and simply say, God is sending me these trials for my sanctification. And therefore, I have to open my heart and my mind to him and simply say, I don't know where you're sending me these trials. They are way about my strength, but I trust that you're going to help me to carry them. Now, let me turn to another interesting paradox of Christianity. If you study Hinduism or Buddhism, or even certain Greek thinkers, you're going to see these people had a cyclical conception of time. Mm -hmm. In other words, time is like a wheel and it keeps turning and therefore there is what Nietzsche calls the eternal return. You know, in other words, you miss the boat now, but it keeps going yes. back. And this is something that Plato develops in, uh, uh, in one of his dialogues when he speaks about punishments of sinners. And you find yourself in Hades and let us say that I've murdered your father. And then I'm condemned to go through this wheel of existence for 3,000 years. Yes. And when I come back to you, either you can forgive me or to say, no, I will not forgive you. If you, a human being, do not forgive me, I have to start all over again. And then it continues. Yes. But somehow, because there's a recurrence of the same events, you can always say, there's always a chance that I'm going to escape. What is amazing about the Old and the New Testament, which is now the prevalent idea of time, is that it is linear. Exactly. There yes. is a past, mm -hmm. there is a present, and there is the human future. And then there is the eternity, which is above time, yeah. obviously. Now, what is so remarkable about Christian life is that I keep a living relationship to the past. For example, if I have committed a sin, when I was 20 years of age, now that I'm an elderly person, I still should feel contrition for that sin and simply say, oh, it's past, it's over, I can forget all about it. If something beautiful happened in my life and I had a deep experience of grace, even though it is past, it is still kept and living in me. St. Benedict says every single day of the year, the monks should, should cry over their sins, even though they've been forgiven. So we still keep a relationship to the past. The only thing given to me now is the very brief moment of time, which is called the present, because as soon as I say this is present, it's already yeah, past. Right. And therefore you see the importance, as my husband expressed so beautifully, that every valid moment of the present is to be related to eternity. And the moment it is related to eternity, it is saved, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the future, with the danger of escaping into the future, but simultaneously, as Christian, I should be concerned about the future because I should, in front of God, plan my future. Now, the danger of this conception, and this is what many people are going to say, the moment you accept the linear conception of time, there's a moment when it is too late. This doesn't yeah. exist in cyclical time. It's going yes. to come back. Just yes. wait, it's going to come back. And you know, this is a word that I've heard most with my students who were on the edge of despair. Had I met so-and-so, had I heard so-and-so 
a few years ago, I could have made it. No, it is too, too late. late yes. You know, that is the word of despair. And this is a moment when you have two possibilities, either to give up in despair and to commit suicide, or to turn to God. You, the master of time, God created time, and God is above time, He is eternal. And to turn to Him and to make the sort of generous, heroic act, yes, it is true indeed. Humanly speaking, it seems to be too late, but you are there and you love me. And in one single moment, a flash of a moment, you can help me and redeem me. Have mercy on me, O God, and help me. Yes. And in this very moment, you transcend time, in the very moment you come in close contact with God, who is your Father. God is not an imaginary being. Mm. God is a person who is my Father and loves me. Therefore say, well, my God, my Father, save me. You know, and then obviously you abandon uh, despair and you turn to hope. Mm -hmm. yes. And hope is always supernatural. Hope is always transcend any human category. And even this is, we, we've got about two minutes left, uh, Doctor, and in last chapter here, last part, it says, love makes hope easier. Was that, what were you mean by that? Well, because obviously as long as my relationship to God remains purely abstract and intellectual, it's not going to have the same beautiful dynamism. Mm -hmm. That if I turn to God with an open heart, knowing that He's my Father, and responding to this loving Father with all my heart. See, I give you my heart. My heart is a sinful heart, my heart is a hard heart, but transform it with your love. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is why there's such a deep connection between hope, faith, hope, and charity. charity yes. But in heaven, faith and hope will no longer be necessary, right. but right. charity will blossom in all beauty. Thank you for listening to Lily, the voice of Alice von Hildebrand. We hope you enjoyed this episode. New episodes of Lily are released every week. Please share our podcast with your friends and family and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to support the production of this podcast, we invite you to become a monthly donor or to give a one-time gift. To donate, please visit hildebrandproject.org forward slash giving. For more information and updates, follow the Hildebrand Project on social media and sign up for our newsletter in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and helping support the legacy of Alice von Hildebrand. <laughs>